This is a Rabble Podcast Network show. New voices in your head. It's Radio Free Radio. Hello and welcome to Alert Radio for April 29th, 2010. We're at CanadianDimension.com and I'm Jeff Hughes. On the program today, I'll have a conversation with Ian Angus. He is editor of the online journal Climate and Capitalism, and he is going to speak to us about the summit for the environment that just occurred in Cochabamba, Bolivia. We're also going to talk to Clayton Thomas Muller. He is going to talk to us about a message he recently delivered to the United Nations in New York about Alberta's tar sands. Also, a conversation with Ron McKay. He is an old friend and spokesman for British MP George Galloway. This week, federal courts were set to appeal the denial of George Galloway's entry into Canada. We'll get Ron McKay's comments on that. And finally, a conversation with Elle Flanders. She is a filmmaker and one of the driving forces of Queers Against Israeli Apartheid. And she's going to talk to us about this summer's Toronto Pride Parade. We'll also have... The alert headlines, music is the weapon, and around the left. And now the alert headlines for April 29th, 2010. The federal government has disclosed for the first time that Canada will not fund abortions in its G8 Child and Maternal Health Care Initiative for Developing Countries. International Cooperation Minister Bev Oda said the government would consider funding family planning measures such as contraception, but not abortion under any circumstances. The clarification follows months of confusion over whether abortion would be included in Harper's G8 initiative, during which Oda and Foreign Affairs Minister Lawrence Cannon appeared to give contradictory answers. Last month, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said the health initiative should include access to safe and legal abortion. Defense lawyers for Canadian Omar Khadr are seeking to throw out so-called confessions from their client as pretrial hearings began Wednesday at the U.S. Naval Prison in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Cotter will make his final pretrial appearance at the hearing, which will determine what evidence the judge and jury of eight military officers can hear at a July trial. Cotter is charged with murder, conspiracy, and support of terrorism. The trial is being held under the military commission process, meaning that evidence that would be excluded from a civil trial, including evidence obtained by torture, can be allowed. Cotter has been imprisoned at Guantanamo Bay since he was arrested in Afghanistan at the age of 15. An Atlantic Union leader has been charged with assaulting a police officer during a protest of the G8 Development Minister's meeting in Halifax. Union leaders say Tony McAfee, Education and Organization Officer for the Canadian Union of Postal Workers, was arrested shortly after 8 a.m. Police allege that officers asked protesters three times to move off Marginal Road in downtown Halifax because they were blocking traffic. When an officer asked a woman to move, police allege she struck him in the chest, the news release says. The Canadian labor groups were there to support the demands of their international partners who are lobbying for funding for maternal programs, HIV and AIDS prevention, and for health care for all, Tony Tracy of the Canadian Labor Congress said. 
Venezuela's economy could shrink for the second consecutive year in 2010, President Hugo Chavez has said, reversing an earlier forecast of growth. According to the IMF and the World Bank, the Venezuelan economy entered into recession in 2009. Venezuela's GDP fell by 3.3% last year and deepened by the fourth quarter to a 5.8% as other countries in the region have begun to pull out of the slump. Chavez blamed the country's problems on a crisis in capitalism. Fans of revolutionary poet and singer-songwriter Gil Scott Heron have welcomed his decision to cancel the concert he had been scheduled to play in Tel Aviv this May. Heron announced the decision during his set at London's Royal Festival Hall, the opening date of his world tour. Activists from the Gil Scott Heron Boycott Israel campaign had picketed the event earlier in the day, attracting considerable public interest and support. Ten activists from the campaign then continued their protest inside the concert, raising the issue of Israel apartheid right at the start of Heron's set and after the first song. Nearly one million people around the world died from exposure to radiation released by the 1986 nuclear disaster at the Chernobyl reactor, finds a new book from the New York Academy of Sciences published this week on the 24th anniversary of the meltdown at the Soviet facility. The book is titled Chernobyl, Consequences of the Catastrophe for People and the Environment. According to its authors, emissions from this one reactor exceeded a hundredfold radioactive contamination of the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. No citizen of any country can be assured that he or she can be protected from the radioactive contamination. One nuclear reactor can pollute half the globe, they said. Chernobyl covers the entire northern hemisphere. Underwater robots dived to the ocean floor yesterday in a new effort to staunch the 42,000 gallons of oil a day being pumped into the Gulf of Mexico in America's worst offshore oil rig spill in 40 years. With the oil now coating 1,800 square miles of water, British Petroleum officials acknowledge it could take months to entirely contain two separate leaks from the wrecked oil rig. What initially seemed a manageable spill is now rated by the U.S. Coast Guard as a serious environment environmental problem, with 1,000 barrels of oil a day being pumped into the Gulf of Mexico, an area rich with dolphins, whales, and other marine life. A sharply divided U.S. federal appeals court has exposed Walmart to billions of dollars in legal damages when it ruled a massive class-action lawsuit alleging gender discrimination over pay for for female workers can go to trial. The Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals said the world's largest private employer will have to face charges that it pays women less than men for the same jobs and that female employees receive fewer promotions and have to wait longer for those promotions than male counterparts. The retailer has fiercely fought the lawsuit since it was first filed by six women in federal court in San Francisco in 2001, losing two previous rulings in the trial court and again in the appeals court in 2007. The lawsuit was filed in 2001 and includes more than one million current and former workers. U.S. Senate Republicans have blocked moves to start a debate on sweeping reform of financial regulations. Democrats and Republicans are disputing a bill 
to introduce the biggest shakeup of regulations for over 60 years. A procedural vote in the Senate would have cleared the way for debate on the bill backed by President Barack Obama. Republicans say the bill does not go far enough in its reforms, but Democrats say their opponents just want to protect Wall Street. The bill's supporters say it would tackle financial institutions that are, quote, too big to fail, putting in place a framework that would mean taxpayers do not fund any future bailouts. Goldman Sachs made billions of dollars at the expense of its clients during the collapse of the housing market, a U.S. Senate investigation has found. The investigation said bank executives had misled investors over mortgage-related investments that turned sour. The Senate panel released its findings ahead of its hearings into the Goldman affair. And those are the alert headlines for April 29, 2010. And now around the left for April 29th, 2010. What is hijab? Why niqab? Wondering about what Muslim women wear and why? Come to a public teaching cafe and listen to Muslim women tell their stories in their own words. The discussion will be held in the Carol Shields Auditorium at the Millennium Library in Winnipeg on May 6th. The event will begin at 6.30 p.m. There is limited space, so please arrive early. Light refreshments will be provided and admission is free. James Laxer, one of Canada's best-known progressive political commentators, will be on a speaking tour this May in support of his latest book, Beyond the Bubble, Imagining a New Canadian Economy. Laxer will talk about the recent economic crisis and will discuss how to move forward in a new economic and political landscape. He will be speaking in Calgary on May 3rd, Red Deer on the 4th, Edmonton on the 5th, and will be speaking in Winnipeg at Mondragon on May 6th. For more information, go to the events page at CanadianDimension.com. The Winnipeg Haiti Solidarity Group is hosting a panel discussion on critical perspectives on Haiti. The forum will be held in the Bowman Center at the University of Winnipeg on May 7th at 7 p.m. Panelists include Scott Weinstein, an RN from Montreal, Bruce Gunther of MCC, Stuart Hammond of Haiti Solidarity BC, Bob Henry of the Manitoba Cuba Solidarity Committee. These panelists will discuss their experiences serving in Haiti after the January earthquake and will put their experiences into the larger context of Canadian and international relief efforts, which are still ongoing more than three months after the earthquake. And that's Around the Left for April 29, 2010. This is Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Jeff Hughes. The World People's Conference on Climate Change and the Rights of Mother Earth, April 19th to 22nd, convened by Bolivia's President Evo Morales, has now concluded. The conference took place in Cochabamba and brought together some 30,000 people from 130 countries. Alert has contacted Ian Angus, editor of the online journal Climate and Capitalism, to talk to us about this. what this conference accomplished. We contacted him at his home outside of Ottawa, where apparently there is snow. All, nevertheless, welcome to Alert Radio, Ian Angus. Thank you for having me. Welcome back, I should say. Now, since the mainstream media pretty much ignored this event, spend a few minutes explaining to our listeners across the, across the country why it was initiated and who was there. Well, the conference was called by Evo Morales, the president of Bolivia, following the uh, fiasco in Copenhagen in December, in which no agreement was reached and in which the uh, a, a handful of countries led by the United States tried to impose a backroom deal on everybody. 
the uh, Morales issued a call for an open and democratic conference, one that uh, everyone would be invited to, everybody with an interest in saving the planet, civil society, NGOs, governments, whoever wanted to attend, to come to Bolivia to discuss what to do next. And that was what this conference was about. It was a conference for the people who wanted to actually save the planet as actual, instead of uh, uh, figuring out what's the least they could possibly get away with, which would seem to be the case in Copenhagen. Can you summarize yeah. our listeners what was uh, in the final declaration and what actions will follow? Well, they, had, they actually adopted quite a few uh, major resolutions, but the key one is what they're calling the People's Agreement and that some people are calling the Cochabamba Protocols. And what it does is it sets out a set of goals uh, and um, analyses of the causes of climate change. It demands that the uh, international negotiations adopt a goal of uh, cutting emissions by 50% in the next uh, period, which would be up to 2017, and that the entire focus of these discussions be on harmony and balance between human beings and nature. There's a great deal of um, emphasis in the uh, document on uh, following uh, indigenous people's wisdom in uh, looking towards uh, the idea of the, the, the Bolivian philosophy of buen vivir, which means living well, but might better be uh, translated as living appropriately, living correctly with the earth. And it uh, draws uh, many social and political conclusions, including a, a very broad one, that there's no way to save the earth if we, uh, if we don't also save people. What about a referendum? Was this... Yeah, of one, of, one of the proposals that came out of this conference is for a global referendum. And I guess, again, this is related to uh, Morales, the, the, the outrage that Morales and other uh, leaders felt coming out of Copenhagen that it was uh, such an undemocratic and backroom process going on. And they're proposing to reverse that and basically to propose, they're proposing a global referendum on the measures that are needed. At this point, this is not much more than just a hope but uh, we'll see how they organize for that in the near future. Much more important coming out of this is the, is the agreement that the, uh, the ALBA nations, the eight countries that include Venezuela, Bolivia, Cuba, Nicaragua, and several others, to take the resolutions from this, country, from this uh, conference and take them into the next stage of the climate negotiations, which will be in Mexico this fall. And uh, they will actually use the, ba- the outcome of this conference as the basis for their negotiating position. Uh, they are also encouraging uh, people around the world to use the outcome of this conference and the, and the program developed by this conference as the basis for building a mass democratic movement uh, to stop climate change, to add to the pressure on the, uh, the, those governments that have been refusing to act. Well, can you compare the uh, politics to the solutions put forward at Cochabamba to the... Uh those that have, were, have been put forward by most governments and the mainstream environmental organizations? Well, in fact, they're quite radically different. The, the uh, Cochabamba um, resolutions blame capitalism and imperialism for the problem. They place the blame very uh, clearly on the rich countries and argue that the rich countries have to make dramatic cuts and also have to finance uh, the poorer countries' uh, adaptation to change. Uh, they are very ambitious goals. Um, there's been a recent study of the, uh, um, the, the promises that rich countries and others have made coming out under the uh, proposed American agreement, the Copenhagen Accord. Uh, and if uh, they all do what they say they'll do, um, the uh, global temperature will increase by three to four degrees in this century, which would be catastrophic. 
and the goal of the uh, Cochabamba um, agreements is to actually keep the uh, temperature increase under uh, down into the one degree level. Ian Angus, as an eco-socialist, is this the beginning of the global climate change movement you've been waiting for? I think it's certainly a huge step forward. I think it's a break from the the politics of the mainstream green movement, which has tended to focus on uh, lobbying and, and just working with the politicians. And I think it lays the basis for an alliance between uh, the uh, environmental movements of the North and the radical anti-imperialist and, and ecological movements of the South. It brings together environmentalists, socialists, indigenous groups in a way that has not happened before. I think it uh, gives us incredible uh, optimism for building a, a movement that can actually win. Uh, let's focus on the role indigenous movements have played. Um, your comments on that, Ian Angus? Well, of course, in Bolivia, which is a country in which the majority of the population is indigenous, and Evo Morales um, is the uh, first indigenous uh, person ever elected president of Bolivia, uh, the only indigenous president in the world today. Uh, so it was inevitable that the indigenous movement would play an important role. And certainly indigenous people everywhere have been among the, the biggest victims of environmental destruction. That's in South America, but certainly also in North America, Canada. And so there were large delegations of indigenous people who uh, went to Bolivia uh, seeing this as a, a movement that uh, they could support. So there is a strong statement that came out of the indigenous uh, workshop that was held there. And there is also, and this is another very important thing that came out of the document, which the indig out of the meeting, which the indigenous people had a big influence on, which is a proposal for a declaration of the universal declaration of the rights of, of Mother Earth, which uh, call, would make respecting Mother, respecting Mother Earth, respecting the environment, um, a, a right like a human right. And uh, that has been, a, was adopted by the conference, and Bolivia has now submitted it to the UN for approval. This is Alert Radio. We're at CanadianDimension.com, and we're speaking to Ian Angus. How would you characterize the climate change movement here in Canada, and what will what happened in Cochabamba, Bolivia, have any impact here at home? Well, the climate movement in Canada has been up and down, like many radical movements. It's been rather diverse, and uh, I think um, broken up into small components. I think uh, we've got a radical wing that has focused mainly on sort of big de demonstrative events. Uh, we've uh, had people who've focused on lobbying. We've had all the various currents, but the movement has generally been weak and not well organized. There's a substantial Canadian component, a substantial Canadian delegation, including quite a few indigenous people from Canada that went to uh, Cochabamba. And there will be over the next uh, few weeks in a number of places, uh, most notably in Toronto on May the 7th, uh, report back meetings at which people can hear the reports from the Canadian participants. And I think those people, especially the young people that went, uh, could play a remarkable uh, role in um, moving the movement forward and giving it new energy and new direction. Well, Ian Angus, editor of the online journal Climate and Capitalism, thank you very much for bringing our listeners across the country up to speed on this undercovered climate change event. Thank you. Thank you. This is Alert Radio. We're at CanadianDimension.com. I'm Jeff Hughes. 
George Poitras, former chief of the Miccosu Cree of Alberta, and Clayton Thomas Muller of the Indigenous Environmental Network, IEN, attended the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues in New York City last Saturday to deliver a message about Canada's record on Aboriginal rights, and in particular the woeful example of First Nation rights in Alberta's tar sands, where three First Nations legal cases are still active. Alert contacted Canadian Dimension Collective member Clayton Thomas Muller to talk to us about these issues, the issues he presented at the UN, and the response, if any, he received. Welcome back to Alert Radio, Clayton. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for joining us again. Now tell us about this meeting. What was the message that you and George Poitras delivered at the United Nations? Yeah, well, you know, it, 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 it basically, you know, the Indigenous Environmental Network... Um, Definitely had our ranks split with uh, many of our delegation, many of our staffers and affiliates down at the uh, climate summit in Cochabamba. I, uh, I I traveled to New York City after a uh, a tour of Europe uh, promoting anti-tar sand sentiment there, um, and you know we had planned a side event at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues in collaboration with Amazon Watch. And with um, Seven Generation Foundation and Cultural Survival, um, that these three organizations, along with the Indigenous Environmental Network, have been working in tandem uh, and participating in a dialogue with the director of the of the film Avatar, James Cameron, and his production company, um, which started a few months ago. And basically, though, you know, we've we 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 had an opportunity to meet with Mr. Cameron uh, last month in his uh, Hollywood home, uh, Los Angeles-based home, um, to discuss a broad range of issues. But essentially the message was that, you know, you could um, do a lot more by supporting, you know, uh, with, with the incredible uh, media attention right now on the film Avatar and the issues, of course, that Avatar brings up in terms of the battle between corporate interests and indigenous struggles all across Mother Earth. Um, by, you know, lending your name, lending the, uh, the space in the international press that Avatar is creating to critical environmental justice issues that are being faced by indigenous peoples. Um, so what that resulted in, of course, was a private meeting in New York City during the permanent forum on indigenous issues between First Nations delegates that had come down, um, you know, from Canada's Athabasca region in northern Alberta, where the tar sands are being um, um, exploited, um, you know, at grave with grave consequences on local First Nations communities, and at the same time, you know, we we also organized a, a panel discussion slash press conference between our organizations, which Cameron participated in, um, which doubled as a side event um, where we invited members of the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues to come and and listen to some some of the issues, um, you know, that, that our communities are facing as a result of mega unsustainable development. Um, and Cameron participated in that panel as well. Clayton, I'd like to ask you now, um, you are pretty much a full-time campaigner against the tar sands in Alberta. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to happen to stop their further development? Well, I think there's no one, there's no one answer to that. You know, I think um, what has been happening has been promising uh, very promising, you know, in terms of the 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 over 40 NGOs and 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 dozen or so 
uh, First Nations communities in Alberta and, and, and tens of more all across North America that have, you know, have begun to rise up and organize against tar sands extraction as well as tar sands infrastructure um, in the form of pipelines and refineries and shipping lanes. Um, we're seeing uh, interventions happen, you know, in the financial sector with various organizations, including IEN, that have been targeting the banks um, that are financing tar sands development. And, um, and, and we're also seeing, you know, tons of, of, of grassroots mobilizations take place where, you know, uh, you know, direct action, uh, nonviolent direct action is being utilized as an effective way of uh, delaying projects, as an effective way of creating space in the media, you know, to generate controversy around um, the grave human rights uh, abuses that the tar sands represents to locally affected communities, and specifically on their water and food supplies. Are you calling for any kind of consumer boycott for the tar sands? Yeah, I mean, you know, markets, markets campaigns, you know, consumer campaigns are definitely part of a comprehensive multi-pronged strategy, you know, that is required uh, to shut this, this, this massive development down. Um, you know, there are groups in the lower 48 United States who have been targeting, you know, big box kind of stores like HomeSense and others, um, you know, to, to, to say, you know, that they will not buy uh, you know, dirty oil from Canada's tar sands, um, which, which I think is effective, you know. Um, but again, like I said, when you're fighting against the, the largest consolidation of corporate power ever in the history of mankind, and that's what Canada's tar sands is, you know, you've got every major oil corporation and financial institution invested in this thing. We're talking about a $100 billion investment with many, many more billions coming in over the next 30 years if left unchecked. Um, we're talking about a sacrifice zone in the boreal forest the size of the country of England and Wales. Um, you know, so if we're going to stop this uh, and we're going to build you know, a zero-carbon um, you know, justice-based, precautionary-centered uh, um, ec- economy for the future, um, you know, one that doesn't sacrifice certain communities for the benefit of the privileged few who control the financial and political strings. We really have to build a social movement. Um, you know, labor needs to be a critical part um, of the fight against tar sands. Uh, student movements, indigenous struggle, and other social movements need to come together, um, you know, and, and facilitate, um, you know, this, this, this resistance um, at a systemic change level. Um, and, that, and the only way to do that is to generate a strong political base of resistance across the country of Canada and unite those workers whose you know, lives have been destroyed as a result of the collapse of the manufacturing sector in this country, which is, a, of course, a result of the gross economic distortion uh, attached to you know, Canada essentially becoming a, a, a petro-state you know, and basing its, its economy on a single uh, finite resource. Clayton, I'd like to ask you about the image of Canada. Do you think that the rest of the world is coming to understand that Canada is a colonial state and not the benign, progressive, and peaceful nation that it likes to portray itself as? I think, you know, the, the, the sad state of affairs is that, you know, Canada has taken, has taken the, the place of the, 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 the horrific Bush-Cheney era internationally, you know, from our war policy in Afghanistan, you know, and the occupation going on there to, you know, the attempts of the Harper minority government to paint Canada, Canada as an emerging 
energy superpower. Um, I think that, you know, and, and Canada's role in, 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 in being the Darth Vader at the Copenhagen, um, you know, or, or Floppenhagen, I've heard it referred to, uh, climate talks in December, and their ongoing, um, you know, international campaign to suppress um, you know, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, as well as the fact that 87% of all global mining is publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Um, you know, Canada is very quickly uh, assenting to being, you know, one of the global uh, bullies and disrespecters of human rights, not to mention, you know, the role that Canada plays in, in continuing to suppress um, you know, the liberation of Palestinian people, um, you know, in, in particular the situation going on in Gaza at the, at the hands of uh, Israeli uh, policy. You know, Canada um, has, has time and time again, um, you know, proven internationally that they don't respect human rights, um, they don't respect the environment, and, and, and domestically, I think with the sad state of affairs, with the, the list of murdered and missing Aboriginal women, um, the complete gutting of Canadian environmental policy, um, you know, we're seeing Canada, you know, um, essentially, you know, privatize its, its government and, and, and kind of have a hands-off approach to, to every critical issue that I think every citizen that has a conscience and a, and a, and a moral baseline, um, you know, is concerned about. Well, Clayton, I can tell we're not the only ones who are uh, paying attention to everything you say. So thank you for sharing your thoughts with us here on Alert Radio. We'll let you get back to your family. Excellent. Thank you for having me. For more information, folks can check out www.ienearth.org. Please sign up for our Facebook page. We're also on Twitter. Thank you, Clayton Thomas Muller. This is Alert Radio for people who want to change the world, and I'm Jeff Hughes. This is Alert Radio. We're at CanadianDimension.com. British MP George Galloway was barred from Canada as a security risk in less than two hours last year. It was alleged that Mr. Galloway is a supporter of, of Hamas, which has been named as a terrorist organization in Canada. Newspaper reports say that it was Immigration Minister Jason Kenney who personally gave the order to deny Mr. Galloway entry into Canada. The federal court was to hear an appeal on Monday, but it was postponed for a few days. To clarify the situation from Mr. Galloway's perspective, Alert Radio has contacted a spokesman and dear friend of George Galloway at his home in Glasgow, Scotland, Ron McKay. Thank you for joining us here on Alert Radio, Mr. McKay. Oh, it's a pleasure, Jeff. Nice to talk to you. Tell us, what was the objective in appealing the case in the federal court here in Canada? Well, it was obviously to overturn uh, a ridiculous and shameful decision taken by a small cabal of very extreme right-wing Zionist people, a.k.a. Uh, Jason Kenney and Ali Khan Velshi, who rushed the whole thing through in, in a couple of hours. Um, they have clung to the pretense, which will and has been exposed in the court documents, that it was in fact a decision by the immigration authorities, when of course that's a patent and uh, absolute lie. They constructed this false uh, allegation that George was a supporter of Hamas. He was, he's never been a supporter of Hamas. In fact, he was uh, a close friend of uh, the late President Arafat, uh, a Fatah supporter. So he's never been a supporter of Hamas, but 
uh, much as it may stick in the craw of uh, Jason uh, Kenny, Hamas are the elected government of Palestine. Um, can you tell us if Mr. Galloway has been barred from any other country? We understand that he has no trouble entering the USA. No, he's been in Canada many, many times before this. And he's been in the United States very recently and is about to do in May another tour and has been in the United States since Canada has um, barred him. Now, you know, I guess you can be uh, more Catholic than the Pope, but you can't be more anti-terrorist than the U.S. authorities. However, (laughs) Canada seems to have trumped that. Oh, and of course, no evidence whatever. Well, can you tell us what um, Mr. Galloway thinks are the real reasons? Uh, You alluded to them earlier, but uh, the real reasons that he was barred entry into Canada? Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, let me go through what actually happened. Um, I happened to pick up the the Sun newspaper on the morning that all of this came out to be told, uh, to read that George was going to be banned. And it took the Canadian government 8 or 12 hours to actually inform the person that they were banning that he had been banned, or would be banned, although, of course, they pretended that it wasn't their decision. Now, under the Your Disclosure rules, we were able to get a whole slew of documentation, uh, although, of course, the government tried to prevent these documents being released, but uh, fortunately for us, unfortunately for you, they're totally incompetent, and they blew that. So we have all of the evidence that this was a hastily put together, but nevertheless a, a, a plot uh, based on no real evidence, just on the belief that George Galloway uh, would espouse ideas and sentences that they didn't want to hear. I mean, it seems to be okay for Anne Coulter to come into the country, a woman who advocates carpet bombing Muslim countries, but George Galloway, who's got a long and distinguished record as a as a peacemaker, is banned simply because Jason Kenney, in his own words, in his own words, a Catholic Zionist, uh, doesn't want him in the country. Do you know if this decision has affected George Galloway's opinion of our country? Not at all, not in the slightest. He divorces uh, your um, insidious and rather unpleasant government from uh, the people of Canada. I mean, as I said earlier, he's been there many times and has many good friends there. And the interesting or perhaps a surprising thing to um, the Canadian government is that he's had support from across the political spectrum in Canada from people who see this quite rightly as an attack on freedom of speech. Well, no, no change in his attitude to Canada. He loves the place, wants to come back, and will come back uh, for the rudely interrupted tour as soon as uh, the court decision comes through. Well, I'm sure listeners across the country of Alert Radio will be glad to have George Galloway, British Member of Parliament, return to our country. And we thank you, Ron McKay, spokesperson for George Galloway, for joining us here on Alert Radio. Okay, thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you. This is Alert Radio. We're at CanadianDimension.com.
According to the last report that we have seen, the city of Toronto may pull funding from next year's Pride Parade if the organization called Queers Against Israeli Apartheid is allowed to march in this year's parade. To comment, Alert has contacted from her home in Toronto, Elle Flanders, one of the moving forces of Queers Against Apartheid. Born in Montreal, Elle is a filmmaker and photographer who has lived for some years in Jerusalem and recently was in the West Bank Centre of Ramallah, producing a series of documentary films there. Elle is a guest editor of Canadian Dimensions Queer Issue that will be out this summer. Welcome back to Alert Radio, Elle Flanders. Thank you very much. That's a very impressive opening. I have to say there's one small word you forgot, which was which is going to shift our whole dialogue here, and that is it's queers against Israeli apartheid. And this is what's been getting us into trouble. Well, forgive my omission. Please, no, no uh, not at all. <laughs> well, tell us, what is the latest information on the city of Toronto's threat to pull funding from next year's Pride Parade? Well, we haven't had any updates since. I mean, I think that there's been a lot of. I think I think things have gone quite a bit quiet in the last uh, in the last week or so, um, as media has a tendency to do. Uh, the hubbub is over, and you know they've moved on to other very important things. So we're not sure. I mean, I I have a feeling we'll try and meet with someone from the city just to get a clarification on exactly what their issues are and where they think that we might have violated, note, note the might, have violated their uh, anti-discrimination policy. But so far to us, it's not making any sense, and I'm quite sure that to the city of Toronto, it's not making a lot of sense either. Um, you know, they, they had admitted quite fully that they haven't really done their research on this, and it may or may not have. But, of course, the press has picked up on much stronger language, which is suggesting that they will, they may pull funding, we may have violated. <laughs> Those are a lot of maybes. Well, what is behind this threat, or should we say, who is behind this threat? Perfect question. Now, let's dig a little deeper, because that's always important. Um, I think that what we're seeing here is the effects of, and this is my opinion, um, but I think what we're seeing is the effects of the Canadian Parliamentary Committee to Combat Anti-Semitism. And uh, I think there's already a trickle down. This was something that was started by Erwin Kotler. It's been in hearings since, I think, about November, um, to which the Canadian Arab Federation and most other sort of uh, groups that necessarily didn't have the same position as Erwin Kotler uh, were not invited to speak at the hearings. So what the Canadian Parliamentary Against Anti-Semitism is trying to do um, is to try and suggest that there is a new anti-Semitism out there and that they coalesce with uh, anti-Israel speech. And so that has now trickled down to the Ontario legislature in which there has been um, uh, uh, a member who has suggested from, I think he's from Toronto, what is it, Thornhill, um, in which he's brought forward a motion which does the same thing, which has connected Israel Apartheid Week, connected to it to hate speech and or um, bringing about hate. And uh, it was passed, but with, he passed it on a Thursday afternoon in which 30 members out of the hundred and something were sitting there. So he had a third of the amount of people he needed in order to pass this motion. Now, of course, it's not binding in law, and there's nothing, there's nothing there that is 
legally um, that has any repercussions whatsoever. However, it's put it out there into public discourse, and this is beginning. So then I think this is now transferred to the city, and it's what I'm starting to see as a trickle-down effect of, of some of this you know, very, um, very frightening and uh, very complex terrain that they're beginning to enter. And uh, so what we're attempting to do is to deconstruct that a little bit for people and say that, no, in fact, when we talk about um, what the Israeli state is doing and when we're pointing our finger and saying, you know, that the Israeli state should not be doing X, Y, and Z, you cannot equate this to anti-Semitism. So I kind of feel like I'm the, the Jew who's come out of the closet, so to speak, for choir um, and just saying, like, no, 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 don't wag your finger in my, in my face. Um, I'm Jewish, and you can't throw that anti-Semitism at me. But, uh, you know, I think that it's a very damning critique and has a lot of people on the run, and so we're trying to change that, that completely around. This is Alert Radio. We're at CanadianDimension.com, and we're speaking with Elle Flanders. She is one of the driving forces uh, behind Queers Against Israeli Apartheid. Now, we heard your debate with lobbyist Martin Gladstone on CBC News, Power, and Politics. Martin is saying that gay, par- gay pride parades should be restricted to matters directly connected to gays and that protesting Israel is an apart- as an apartheid state does not directly concern queers. What is your response to that, Elle Flanders? Uh, I think Martin, you know, the problem with Martin's position is, is that he predicates it at the beginning on suggestion that pride is not political. That's where he started. Pride is supposed to be a party and a celebration, and it's not political. So let's start with that. I mean, I think we can say by its very nature that pride is an act of political resistance. Um, That's where it started. That's where it remains today. And I think that you're seeing a lot of people in the community who are wanting it to get back to its political roots and that, you know, are are a bit overwhelmed by the corporatization of it and the corporate takeover of pride into this big idea of, you know, we're, we're all here to have a big old party. Um, with this, a few years ago, you know, that started to shift when we introduced the... Uh, I was a member of the Board of Pride for a year, and we had introduced the uh, Human Rights Contingent as a way of sort of expressing our return to political and grassroots organizing. So Martin came along and, you know, essentially suggested that Pride is no longer political, and that's, that's, that's insane. Um, that's ridiculous and silly. So we've we've started with that, and we've started to take that apart, and um, and really suggest that in fact it is deeply political. It always has been political. So then the next thing that we recognize is that what Martin is really talking about is that he doesn't like seeing anything that has to do with anti-Israel anything at his pride. Um, and my answer to Martin simply is, is that, first of all, he's not the only man at Pride, and neither is the Jewish contingent that he claims to represent. Um, there are other Jews with other opinions. Now, whether or not this is connected to Pride, again, I would have to say, is that we have always had a history at Pride of connecting liberation struggles, our liberation with that of many other places, and there are many... Uh, in the group who either are queer Palestinians, who we stand in solidarity with. And queer Palestinians make the point very clearly, saying that until the occupation ends, that there will be no queer liberation for them, that the two are directly connected. So we stand both in solidarity for, with, 
um, those groups. And also, there are many of us who are critical of what's happening in Israel right now who are also queer. And you're starting to see that a lot of the movement, as happened with South African uh, with apartheid and trying to end apartheid in South Africa, there was a group that marched in pride in those very early days, in the 80s. Um, it was called the Simon Nicodi Anti-Apartheid Coalition. So these, these, this is not new. I myself was the one of the founders of a group called the Jewish Feminist Anti-Fascist League. Should we argue that that had no place in pride? Pride is connected to many people's struggles, whether it be the unions that march with us, whether it be even... Uh, not not something to my taste, but when the progressive conservatives march. Um, but I'm not saying they can't march. <laughs> and I'm saying that when they appear in the Pride Parade, it is a political statement, and it doesn't always have to do with gay and lesbian issues. They are not there. They have never been there to support gay and lesbian. Uh, they are there to support, hopefully, I guess, people who will vote for them. But other than that, I haven't seen a piece of legislation that the progressive conservatives have passed that say anything about gay and lesbian anything. So we would have to then question why they're there, why the NDP is there, etc. So I don't think that we should really walk down that road. Final thoughts, Elle Flanders. Final thoughts? On uh, the Pride Parade this year, the well, involvement of yeah. uh, queers against Israeli apartheid. I presume that you they will be there in force despite these threats? Absolutely will be there, and will be there, you know, in, in all our glory with, you know, uh, the this spectrum and the, the people that both that we represent and that represent us and our queer bodies will be there. But I guess my final thoughts are really about, you know, this larger issue of, you know, pride and politics. And, you know, at Quiet, we are very proud of our politics. And I think that that's a very important connector for pride. And I think that there are many individuals at pride who are proud of who they are in their multiplicities and in their complex politics. We are not simply a bunch of navel gazers. And I think that there are those of us who refuse to be pigeonholed as such. So I guess that's it. And, you know, if Martin Gladstone is is such a great uh, gay rights activist, let's see him do some gay rights activism where it counts and where it's significant. I haven't seen that yet. All I've seen him do is try and rain on Pride's parade um, and try and get everything defunded. That's not activism. Well, thank you very much, Elle Flanders, filmmaker and driving force behind Queers Against Israeli Apartheid. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here again. And we will wish you all the best this year at your Pride Parade. Thanks. Bye. Goodbye. Hi, this is Mitch Podolik, and this is Music is the Weapon. And today we're going to do a little bit about the environment, considering the results of that conference in Latin America. So here is Baldi with Hot Rocks.
That was Baldy with Hot Rocks. Do you, do you remember that imagery you had when you first heard about acid rain? The idea of swimming in it or drinking it or or whatever. It's just such a terrible, terrible image and uh, it sure affected a lot of the songwriters. Here is Terry Leonino and Greg Artsner who together are known as Magpie with Killing Rain. At the lakes, fall out from our ways, taking toll. But the trees can't run and hide, fish have nowhere to go. Don't know to fear with every thunder roll. But I swear it's not too late to turn back, it's not too late. I know it's not too late to turn again. But I swear it's not too late to turn back, it's not too late I know it's not too late to turn again To stop the killing rain In the land of the Iroquois First stolen, then despoiled My poisons gathered from a far-off place Whoever could have known In this land remote and wild That even here you couldn't hide away But I swear it's not too late To turn back, it's not too late I know it's not too late to turn again 
not too late I know it's not too late to turn again To stop the killing rain Standing by the lake That once was full of life The northern lights, they shimmer in the night But the stillness on the water Runs deeper than a mirror There'll be no fishing here come morning light But I swear it's not too late to turn back, it's not too late I know it's not too late to turn again But I swear it's not too late to turn back, it's not too late I know it's not too late to turn again To stop the killing Now 
and forevermore. Justice at the surface and justice at the core. Then all the joy within my heart would be so free to soar. And we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going far. And we can change the universe by being who we are. And we're living on a living planet. Circling a living star. If all the world knew freedom now and forevermore, freedom at the surface and freedom at the core, then all the joy within my heart would be so free to soar and we're living on a living planet circling a living star i don't know where we're going but i know we're going far and we can change the universe by being who we are and we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. If Mother Earth were honored now and forevermore, honored at the surface and honored at the core, then all joy within my heart would be so free to soar and we're living on a living planet circling a living star i don't know where we're going but i know we've gone too far and we can heal this planet by changing the way we are Time to heal this living planet That was Magpie with Living Planet and before that with Killing Rain and that's it for this week, folks. See you next week for our last show of the season. That is Alert Radio for April 29th, 2010. I'm Jeff Hughes, and of course, you can find us at CanadianDimension.com. Make sure you tune in next week for our season finale and my final episode with Alert, alas. We hope that you'll tune in then. Our thanks as usual to executive producer and publisher of Canadian Dimension magazine, Saigonic. And Tommy Allen, senior technical producer. Our intern technician, Selena Serbinuk. Our alert headline writer, Chris Webb. Around the Left in Seven Days comes to us from Ben Wood. And, of course, Mitch Podolik with Music is the Weapon. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension magazine. And you can hear it in 12 cities across the country in community and campus radio stations. You can also log on to rabble.ca or canadiandimension.com.